Well, good morning. Good to be back with you. I don't have my wife with me this time. We're good. That's fine there. We're good. I wasn't doing it good enough. He had to fix it. So I'm looking forward to being with you next week as well. And for this reason, this time next week, we'll know how the vote has gone. I was Sean. Sorry, try again. Not Sean. Sean. Sean's a clone. Jason, uh, he actually uh, texted me on Thursday while I was recording my radio programs, and he said, do you have your sermon title and scripture for next Sunday? And I texted him back and said, I'd have a whole lot easier time coming up with a sermon if, I, if you guys had voted before I got there. <laughs> Not knowing where things are going to go or whatever has made it a little bit difficult. But it wasn't long after that that when I finished recording and was heading to a lunch meeting that God, clear as anything, said, boom, this is where you're going. And to be honest with you, I'm going to do something different than I normally do. I'm going to preach a sermon that I've never preached before. And I actually have notes (laughs) because God actually began to speak. And I just started writing things down over the next couple of days. And I fleshed it out and finalized it last night once I got here. And I'm excited about bringing this message to you. It's a passage that you all probably know well. I understand that Sean walked you through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to do the whole chapter. We're going to break down the whole chapter. I'm going to kind of walk you through kind of verse by verse, but we're not going to cover everything. There's just not time to do that today. But God clearly began to show me that What we're going to look at today, as you can see from your sermon title, the danger of looking at man instead of looking to God and calling a pastor. This message will apply whichever way the vote goes. I feel from talking with people and leadership here that the vote probably is going to be real positive and I'm excited about celebrating hopefully with you next Sunday. And and if that is the case, I'm excited about the message. I know God wants me to preach them if that's what goes on. Uh, But there's a danger In this, whichever way the vote goes, there's a danger that churches fall into when they call a pastor. So let me pray for us. Actually, I'm going to read to you this chapter and then I'm going to pray for us and we'll get right into what God has for us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Let's pray together. Father, as we dive into this passage today, I thank you that very clearly this isn't something that I sat down and came up with. It's something you spoke to me while I was driving a car. And so, Lord, I know that this is something that you have for us today. But, Lord, at the same time, I also know that there is so much in this chapter. I could take two or three days to pull out everything that's here. But that's not what you have for us today. You have a specific purpose. You've given me a basic outline of what it is you want me to say. But, Lord, at the same time, I don't want just the preparation to be led of your spirit. I want the presentation to be led of your spirit and empowered by your spirit today so that I don't preach the things that are here that aren't for this morning. And so, Father, I pray now that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, because we tend to pray for the preacher on Sunday morning that you would empower him to preach. But, Lord, we need as the hearers to be empowered to hear. So, Lord, all you ask of us is the humble attitude of a child and that we submit ourselves to the fact that you will be the one who gives us insight and understanding. And we look forward to what you're going to show us. Prepare us for what you have for us in the coming days in the calling of a pastor. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to reread this chapter to you verses at a time, depending on what sections we're going to be covering. We're going to start with verses 1, 2, and 3 to start with. There are five things from here that God kind of pulled out for me that I feel like I'm supposed to communicate to you today. The first one is this, and it's in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Look closely in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready, for you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Now, let me clarify quickly. I'm not saying that everything that Paul's dealing with here specifically applies to Calvary. Don't hear me say that I think God thinks you are unspiritual people and infants in Christ and in the flesh. But don't assume you're okay either. You see, we have a tendency to idealize the early church. You ever heard preachers and teachers talk about the church needs to go back to the days of the early church? You ever heard that kind of preaching? Well, those preachers never read their Bibles because the early church was just as human as you and I. And you ever realize the fact that Paul writing to an early church here in Corinth had to deal with the fact that they were fighting with each other and babes in Christ? He goes on further in chapter 5 and had to deal with the sexual morality, immorality that was going on in the church and everybody was okay with it. He goes on later in chapter 11 to deal with the fact that when they took the Lord's Supper, they weren't even eating it together. And let me just say, the early church wasn't perfect. You say, Jim, well, that's the church in Corinth. 
The early church that I'm talking about is the one in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, where they shared everything they had. They have everything in common. And the Lord added to the number daily. I'm like, you know, they really look really good that, that, those days. But if you keep reading in Acts, you'll get to chapter 5, where Ananias and Sapphira are having to be killed because they're lying about how much they gave to the church. You keep going on further, and you'll see that in chapter 6, they were all fighting with each other over the daily distribution of the food to the widows and complaining to the pastors. We have a tendency to look back and think the early church was perfect. No, it wasn't. It's full of humans just like we are today. And so if there are some things that we can learn from the early church, I think it would be valuable for us. And here's the first thing that I want to pull out from our first three verses. We don't always agree. But how we respond and how we treat each other when we don't always agree will show which of us are actually walking in the spirit and which are walking in the flesh. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and you'll see Paul in verse 17 through 19 actually says exactly what I just said. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 17. He says, but in the following instructions, I don't commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Look at what he says. He said, actually, the division that I'm going to be looking for is who's walking in the spirit and who's walking in the flesh. Did you know that the Bible actually teaches that that's one of the greatest ways to recognize if someone's really spiritual? Because there are a lot of people out there in the church today that love to pretend like they're spiritual and they're holy, but they tear others down in the process. They set up their camps and are you on my side, the side of the right, or are you on the other side? Go to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we'll start in verse 16. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But... If you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Here's what the flesh looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity. Where's that word that we just saw in 1 Corinthians 3? Strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the evidence of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Folks, look closely. We, we look at that acts of the flesh list and we see the orgies and the sexual immorality and witchcraft and all this stuff. We forget that in the middle of that same list is dissension, jealousy, envy, strife. 
I see a lot of churches willing to deal with uh, someone that's committing adultery and go to confront them in church discipline. But are we willing to confront the people in our churches that are backbiting and communicating behind the scenes through emails or telephone calls, complaining about votes that just happened in the church or things that have happened or decisions that have been made? Well, I don't like about this and I want to find some more people like me that don't like it. And you start to set up your divisions and your strife. You know, the Bible says they're in the same list. And I think actually, as I travel around, I encourage elders and leaders and churches to deal with that just as much as they would deal with adultery. It's, it's not good for our churches. And so I'm just going to say to you, you're not going to always agree. And one of the ways that you'll know that we don't always agree, try calling a pastor. We'll get to that in verse four in just a second. But years ago, when I was a young preacher, I, I was zealous and full of zeal, but no knowledge. And I remember as a young preacher, when I was 19, 20 years old, when I actually started preaching full time when I was 19, I remember saying this because I believed it so strongly. God had to believe it, too. I, I, I said, if you and I have the same spirit within us, we should always agree. That sounded good, didn't it? It made a lot of sense till I read my Bible. And I realized that the Bible actually teaches that there's going to be lots of times that people who have the same spirit don't see certain things the same way. One's going to consider every day the same. Another's going to consider certain days as sacred. Others are going to think that eating vegetables is the only way to go, according to Romans 14. And others think that you can eat everything. The Bible actually says that how we treat each other when we don't agree will actually be a greater evidence of the fact that the spirit's within us than the fact that we all agree. We in the church today are trying to have this mindset of getting everybody to see things the same way. When the Bible says um, that God says, that's my job. And who are you to judge the servant of another? Romans chapter 14, verse four to his own master. He stands or falls and the Lord is able to make him stand. The Bible actually says that in the times that we don't agree, we are to actually still love each other and work alongside of each other and bring glory to God that people that don't always see it the same way are still working side by side because Jesus has united us. Actually, God can make the times that we don't see things the same cause more unity. So be careful of how you respond when you don't agree. By the way, I found out over the years, I've been married for 30 years now, a lot of times when I thought I was right, I wasn't. But it's through the working it out that the reality came to be. So the first thing I want you to see is this in verses one through three is that if there is disagreement as a church, handle it with gentleness, kindness, love, peace, joy, patience, not divisions, envy, strife and factions. But look at chapter three, first Corinthians chapter three. Look at verse four. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is this. One of the greatest areas where churches will disagree, and I've already touched on this and hinted at it, one of the greatest areas where churches aren't going to agree is when it comes to pastors. Look at verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, I thought it would be fun. We're not going to do it. But if I handed out a piece of paper to you all, especially those of you that have been members here of this church for a long time, and on that piece of paper, you listed was already listed all the pastors in the history of the church, at least the ones you know. And then you got to rate them. Good, bad, indifferent. 
things you liked, things you didn't, things they were strong at, things they were weak at. And everybody filled out that form and then we handed them all in. Would they all be in agreement? No, there's going to be some that loved this guy and others that hated that guy. They're going to think this guy was wonderful, but others don't think he's wonderful. They're going to, and it's all going to be for different. By the way, one of the reasons why there's so much division when it comes to pastors is, first of all, we're one of the most visible parts of the body. And secondly, everybody has an opinion on what they think the pastor ought to be. And determining or determined by whether or not you think this guy had the gifts you wanted in a pastor will determine whether or not you liked him. If you're looking for a certain aspect and that pastor had those gifts, you're going to think he's wonderful. If you're looking for a different aspect and the pastor didn't have them, you're going to think he wasn't that good. And because of this, there was in the church there in Corinth an attitude that says, well, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. Remember, we're just as human as they are. Be careful of, well, I follow Sean. Let me say something to you. If it as it appears from what God's been showing the elders and the search team, and hopefully the vote lines up with that, that God is bringing Daniel Holmquist, he's going to be different. And let me just give you a little heads up, whether he comes or doesn't come. Let's just assume he comes. There's going to be some of you that think, man, I love this about him. And others will go, I don't love that about him. There are going to be things that you think he ought to be and things that you don't think he ought to be. And there's going to be an opportunity for division and disagreement and not seeing things the same way. And when you take your eyes off of God and put them on the man, how did Paul put it? You're being merely human. I'm sure some of you have already examined my preaching style versus Sean. You say it to yourself, Jim, I thought Jim mentored Sean, but his preaching and Sean's preaching are totally different. Yep. And it should be. And it should be. We've already dealt with that when I was here a few weeks ago. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. We'll come back to that passage in a little bit this morning. So the first two things I want you to see from this passage is this. We're always not always going to see things the same way, but how we respond and treat each other will show who's walking in the spirit. And one of the greatest areas where we will disagree will be when it comes to pastors. Let's look at the third thing in verses five through seven. Look at verses five through seven. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, don't miss what's going on here. He's taking their focus and he's moving it away from man to God. He's been mentioning Paul and Apollos and Cephas and all that. But now he's saying, who are these guys? To be honest with you, well, I think he said it here. They're nothing. They're just servants, tools that God used. So you see, God was the one who assigned their roles. I'm a planner. Apollos was a waterer. Paul, if you know about his heart, he said, I want to go preach the gospel where people haven't heard it. 
That's my heart. I want to go where people hadn't heard, and that's where I want to preach. Personally, my wiring is not to go preach where people haven't heard. How God's wired me is to speak to people that have heard, people that know the Lord, people that are in the Word, people that, that actually are growing in their walk and take them deeper. That's how God's wired me. That's why some people say, I don't think Jim shares the gospel enough in his preaching. Well, the gospel's all through the Bible, but I've not been called to be an evangelist. I've been called to be a discipler, an apostle that actually comes alongside in a traveling ministry to strengthen the body. And we have a tendency because we have a liking of certain things better than others, or we have a tendency to think the pastors are supposed to be a certain way. And listen closely, when you take your eyes off of God and put them on the man, you're going to get yourself into bellyache. Let me just point out something to you and then say something that I hope you hear correctly. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verses 4 through 11 and then verses 18 through 20. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, look at verses 4 through 11. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Now, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Listen closely. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Jump down to verse 18. But as it is, God has arranged all the different parts in the body. Each one of them as he chose. If all were a single part or a member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Don't miss this. Who determines what the pastor's gifts are. God, the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. So when you look at the man, whether it's Sean or Jim or Daniel, and you say, I don't like the fact that he's weak in this area. I like that he's strong in this area, or he's disappointing to me in these areas. You're actually not critiquing Daniel, Jim, or Sean. You're critiquing the Holy Spirit. You have just set yourself up as a judge over God himself. The scripture says we all don't have the same role. We don't all have the same gifts. And folks, as you've already heard me preach, just because he's called pastor doesn't mean he's supposed to be like every other one. And all pastors aren't supposed to be the same. And therefore, as you call a new pastor, there's a danger when you start looking at man and you take your eyes off of God. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look again at how in verses 5 through 7, Paul is moving their focus off a of man back to God. He couldn't do it in a more clear way. He said, what is Apollos? What is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. But only God who gives the growth. In each of these verses, the Lord assigned to each, God gave the growth, and only God who gives the growth. The focus should be where? It's on God. 
Because he's the one, as you're about to see, who's doing this work. He's the one that's building his church. He's the one that's accomplishing what he wants to do in this place. And he's chosen the instrument that he wants to use. And those of you that like to work with your hands, imagine you get your toolbox. If you used only a hammer every time you did a job, you'd do a real good job in certain jobs that required a hammer, but you'd do a horrible job in the jobs that needed a wrench, correct? And those of you that used only a wrench would do a great job on the jobs that needed a wrench, but a horrible job that needed a hammer or a screwdriver. Yet what we've done in our minds is we expect the pastor to be either be a hammer, a wrench, or a screwdriver, or all of it, and he's never going to be. So if God is calling Daniel, and this is the one that God has shown the search committee and the elders and the church vault and confirmation that this is the one that God's called, don't expect him to be your certain type of tool. God has assigned what his gifts are. God is the one who's going to empower them in him. And your and my focus should be on who? On God. Let me just say this too. This is also very freeing for you if Daniel comes in and starts to mess things up. You can say, God, you called him. God, this is the one you chose. And it keeps your attitude in the right place and your perspective in the right place. Oh, by the way, uh, as a warning to me, and if you're watching today, Daniel, and any of preachers that are out there, the very next verses get real serious with those of us who are called to build God's building. Look at what he says next in the next verses, in verses 8 through 17. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Now, let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Now, I have for years read this passage as talking to everybody and it is kind of. But if you look at the context here, Paul is speaking to Paul and Apollos and Cephas and all those who are God's workers, fellow workers who are working in God's field on God's building. As much as these truths that we're looking at here that I'm about to speak on from these verses apply to you and me, all of us, especially because we're all to be a part of God's work as well. But he, in the context here, is given a warning to the Pauls and the Apollos and the Cephases, the Jims, the Shans, the Daniels, the Jasons. He's giving a warning. See, 
everyone's going to receive their wages for what it is God called them to do, whether they were a hammer, a wrench, or a screwdriver. And at the same time, though, no one better lay any other foundation other than it's already been laid. And I hope you do understand that. You've had Sean as your pastor. I think you know full well. John chapter 14, verse 6, there, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You also know Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, which is Jesus Christ. But go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verses 19 through 22. Paul's been laying out the fact that God is bringing together Jew and Gentile into the church to build a holy temple that Christ dwells. And look at verses 19, Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens talking to the Gentiles, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. So this church thing that God's doing, that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't stop it. It's something God's doing and he's chosen who's to do which part in the body. And at the same time, it's been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ first and foremost. But then Paul says, after the foundation's been laid, there are others in the church that God's chosen. Some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists, some are pastor teachers. They have been given the role as God's fellow builders, because he's building the church, but there are those fellow builders that have been called by God to work alongside and through his power to help build the church, which is his field, his building, the holy temple that we just saw and read about in 1 Corinthians 3 and Ephesians 2. Those of us who have been given that role to work alongside being used by God to build his church need to be careful how we build. He says, he uses illustration of shoddy workmanship or cheap materials and good materials, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And he says, one day when we all stand before God, God's going to judge each of us pastors according to what we've done. By the way, don't miss this first part. Who's going to judge the pastor? You, you, we have to start over if you can't answer that one. God is. Jesus, right? Judgment seat of Christ. The, who does that mean doesn't judge the pastor? You guys. Again, without realizing it, because for years we thought the pastor worked for us. I mean, we're paying his salary. We've written his job description. We've got all this stuff that we expect him to do. The church for years has sat back playing the role of the Holy Spirit, taking the throne of God, and judged whether or not we think the pastor's doing a good job. Folks, you thank God that he's bringing you a pastor and you keep your eyes on God. The moment you start looking at Daniel too much, you've taken your eyes off of the Lord. He's able to deal with the shepherds that don't shepherd well. He'll deal with them. James chapter three, verse one, very clearly says this. Don't think many of you ought to be teachers. Don't seek to be teachers because those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability and judgment. We've got, a, we've got a tougher time at the judgment seat of Christ because we've been given a role that is to stand here and say, thus says the Lord, he better thus have said. Years ago, when I was a young preacher, 
I was associate, sorry, I was at this point senior pastor of a church in Chicago. And we were in the process of hiring a new youth pastor because our previous youth pastor had become an associate pastor. And now we were looking to find a new youth pastor. And so uh, we just figured we'd look for the lowest of the low. And so we started looking at Moody Bible College. Right, Jason? And so we, uh, uh, we actually, I believe God was leading us to this young man named Wade. And, uh, and I was working with the search committee and I already felt like God had spoken to me. And I was trying, sitting in this room, we were all sitting in a circle, and I was trying to convince the search committee that Wade was the one God had chosen. And they were having a little problem with it. And I finally said this. I said, don't y'all trust me? And I thank God for Betty Tverdick. And I actually had a privilege to my wife and I go back on a 20-year 20 20 anniversary reunion from our time at that church. And I went and visited her in the hospital. And I hugged her neck and I said, Betty, you did something for me as a young preacher years ago that I'll never forget. This is what Betty did. When I sat in that room and said, don't you all trust me? Betty looked me right in the eye and said, no, I don't. And I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to trust God. And he's going to show us whether or not Wade's supposed to be the guy, not you. And I seriously got up in the room that day, walked straight over and hugged her and thanked her in front of everybody and said, this is going to stick in my brain for the rest of my life. Thank you for being willing to speak to me in love. I needed to hear that. I don't want to ever be one of those pastors that says, follow me. Each one of us have to be careful. Paul says, like an expert builder, I laid the foundation. And each one needs to be careful. Those pastors that follow need to be careful how they build, because one day we're going to be judged by the Lord. And if what you do suffers loss, you'll still get to heaven because you don't earn your salvation, that's a gift, but you'll suffer loss. But then he said this, if what we've built, and this, I want to speak to you because you're going to see in our last section as we're about to close here, it applies to us as well. He says, if what he's built survives, well, what actually survives then? Listen closely. The answer is this, what has been done by God through his power through us. We've always heard only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You remember that? That's wrong. There's lots of things that have been done for Christ, and they're going to burn up. Jesus said, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? Didn't we preach in your name? And didn't we cast out demons? And he's going to say, I never knew you. The phrase should actually be only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done by Christ will last. If you go back and you look, Jesus himself taught him at the beginning. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If a pastor comes in and tries to lead in the, his own strength in the flesh, following his plans, his strategy. I've done this in the past. I'll do it again. Be careful. Be praying for him. Keep your eyes on God. You want a man that says, Lord, what do you want to do now? And what will you empower? Paul himself said in Colossians chapter one, verses 28 and nine to the talking about sharing the gospel to this end. I toil and struggle. But then he says this with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. In the same way as you're about to see. When you do whatever it is that God has for you to do. As you're building on the foundation of salvation through faith alone in Christ Jesus, you need to be careful as well that you're not doing things in your own strength. Let's close with the last section, verses 18 through 23. 
Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is fully folly or foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they're futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. I don't know if you caught this or not, but in the last section, Paul moves the focus back to the church to encourage him with this. Even though God has gifted the church with planters and waterers, even though God has gifted the church with fellow builders who are working with God to build the church, pastors, every single one of us have a direct connection to Jesus Christ ourselves. And folks, let me just say this to you. I hope you weren't impressed with Daniel's resume. That's boasting in men. If you think it could be okay, because look at what he's done. Look at his pedigree. Look at his resume. God says, if you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said to these guys, do you remember what you were when you were called? Not many of you were impressive in the world's eyes. Not many of you had an impressive resume. But God chooses what's foolish in the eyes of the world to confound the wise so that he may get the glory. I don't really care about Daniel's resume. What I care about is, does he have a hunger for the Lord? And does he have a desire to teach you about Jesus and to get to know him better and how to love each other? He says, so no more boasting in men. All things are yours. Julie just led us in a song that actually said that. The song right before the last song, we were singing the fact that it's all ours because we're in Christ. So you're going to be okay even if the vote's no. You're going to be okay because you're in Christ. And he's got you. You're going to be okay if the vote's yes. I don't want anybody thinking, oh good, we got a pastor. We're going to be okay. You're just taking your eyes off of God and you put them back on man. Oh, by the way, that's a natural tendency. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of reminding ourselves again when we get in the flesh. Oh, he's going to do some things you love and you're going to start telling everybody how wonderful he is. You just did it again. If he's impressive, is the Lord. He's the one that does anything that's any good in us. Oh, if you find some things you don't like about him and you start complaining, you just did it again. You took your eyes off of God. And you put them back on man. Thank God for the fact that he's given you a pastor. But be praying that he just points you to Jesus. And teaches you more and more how to love each other. That's it. We've already talked about that. That's the two things we're going to focus on. I'm praying for two things. I'll be honest with you. I'm praying that the vote's Yes. But I am praying ultimately that God brings you his man in his time. That's my deep prayer. Personally, I put in a request that it would be this week. That the answer is yes. But the second one is even more important. 
that whether the answer is yes or the answer is no on Wednesday, that you guys will grow closer to Jesus and you'll love each other in the process. Let's just hypothetically say the vote goes no. The tendency to start looking and point the finger at who messed it up. You might even blame the postal service. Take your eyes off a man and put them back on God. Let me ask you a question, Calvary. Does God love you? Does he have a wonderful plan for your church? Remember that. Remember that. And if the answer is yes, Daniel will be coming in November with Linda. Doesn't change anything. God still loves you. He's got a wonderful plan for your church. I'm looking forward to being here again next Sunday. And I can't wait to see which message God has me preach. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again for this chance to come and to study your word and allow you to speak to us and remind us of things we already know. But Lord, it's valuable at times, at certain times specifically, to be getting these reminders. Lord, we're reminded of what you had me preach a few weeks ago in Ephesians 4. In verses 11 through 16, how you gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Father, I pray that the pastors here, not just Daniel, but also those who are in leadership, the the, the elders, Lord, that they would be helping the body find out what their gifts are and how they can use those gifts to build the body up. Because in that passage, when that happens, the body's actually exercising their gifts and not sitting back and expecting the pastor to do the work of the ministry where the church becomes mature, no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching, and they grow up into him who is the head, that's Christ. Father, we thank you for the fact that it appears that you have provided a pastor and called a pastor for this church in a fairly quick process, if this be your will. But Lord, keep us from taking our eyes off of you in this process and putting them on anyone. May our eyes stay on you. And may we see everyone, the people around us, not just the pastors, as a part of the body that you have put together for your purposes, for our best. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.